Good morning, church, and I'm so glad that you've joined me today as we study the Word of God together. I want you to go to Psalms chapter 73, beginning at verse 1. And the Word of God says this, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. When I read this Psalms, what stood out to me most was the writer said, I was almost gone. This morning I want to speak to you on that very subject, almost gone. But before we go into this, let's just pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning that we've gathered together in your home. And Father, we're hungry for your word, we're desperate for your presence. So I pray, Lord, as we spend this time together, that you would give us a clear understanding of your word, that you would enable me, Holy Spirit, to just speak your word and bring truth to all of our lives and apply it to our lives, Lord, so that we can become more like you, Jesus. Bless us now during this time. and press. We love you and we thank you for everything, Lord, that you're doing in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we opened up with Psalm chapter 73, the writer begins to describe how God is good. And we all know and believe that God is good. But notice he said, God is good to those who have a pure heart. And as we learned last week, that word heart, it means the inner you. It's talking about your thoughts and your emotions. So when it talks about having a pure heart, It means that your thoughts and your emotions are pure, and it's describing actually a clear conscience. See, when we're in church and we preach, we tend to focus on on sin. We tend to tell people that everyone makes mistakes and everyone sins and no one is perfect. But it seems lately that the church has gone away from this teaching of having a clear conscience, however. Because I believe that even though, as Christians, we're human, and because we're human, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail in our weaknesses. We're going to sin, and that's obvious. But see, the Bible teaches us that as believers of Jesus Christ, walking faithfully with Him, we are to have a clear conscience. What that means is that mentally and emotionally, you're not experiencing guilt. You're not experiencing fear or shame because of choices you're making or living. It's describing when you're free emotionally from bondage because you're not practicing habitual sin. In fact, as a Christian, having a clear conscience is what I believe to be one of the biggest blessings you could have as a believer. In fact, Paul often talked about having a clear conscience. Let me give you some of these examples, starting with 2 Timothy 1-3. through Let me give you these three biblical examples that Paul talked about to Timothy and also the church. Paul said, Timothy, I thank God for you. I serve God, notice, I serve God with a clear conscience. I serve God with a clear conscience. 
He also said in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, gazing intently at the high console, Paul began to speak and he said, Brothers, I have always lived before God. Here it is again, with a clear conscience. And in Acts 24, 16, Paul even says, Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. Notice that. You see, Paul would often describe with honesty that he was weak in the flesh, and sometimes he did this talked about making mistakes and the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I should do, I don't. So he's saying that no one is perfect. All of us sin. But see, Paul is also teaching here that as Christians, we should aim and thrive to live the best we can to please God, to live to have a clear conscience. And I believe that there's a lot of believers who really don't experience the joy and the freedom and the blessing of having a clear conscience. So when the writer of Psalms begins to talk about having a pure heart, he's describing the feeling of having a clear conscience before God. You're having a clear conscience because there's no real practicing sin. You have a clear conscience because you're not living with bitterness and unforgiveness towards others. You have a clear conscience because you're not practicing idolatry or worldliness. So even though it's impossible for us as humans to live a perfect sinless life before God, it is very possible as believers to live a life to please God that causes you to have a clear conscience before God. And when you have a clear conscience, you're able to serve God better. When you're able to serve, when you're able to serve God better, you're also able to serve people better. That's why Paul said, I aim to please God and have a clear conscience before God and people. So when the writer begins to speak about a a clear conscience, everything took a turn as he begins to describe in verse 2 something powerful. He now shifts gears here. He changes and he says, But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. And he's not talking physically, he's talking spiritually. He was slipping, and I was almost gone. Notice the language in this psalm. He said, I was almost gone because I began to slip spiritually. I began to lose my footing. And as I read this, I realized that not only are many believers in the church today not living life with a clear conscience, I believe that there's a lot of people, sadly, that slip away from God. They stop serving God like they used to. They lose their their passion and devotion they once had. 
They begin to slip away from the church. They begin to slip away from serving. They begin to slip away from fellowshipping with other believers. See, these are all things that are a blessing that we need as Christians. We need church. We need to serve each other and God. We need fellowship. But sadly, so many people who once were passionate about God and once were devoted to the things of God, they tend to just slip away. And I've been a pastor for so many years, and I've seen this constantly, where people begin to slip away. People that once served in the ministry, people that once volunteered in the church, people that were once passionate about the Word of God, they begin to just slip away. In fact, he's, the writer says, I was almost gone, and I look back in the ministry, and I look back at the years I've served God, and I've seen so many people that were on fire for the Lord gone now. They're gone from the church. They're gone from serving. They're just gone. And you wonder, what happened? How did this person just go from being on fire and passionately serving God to now worldly and just gone? And slip. The writer of Psalms is saying, that was almost me. And it could almost be you if you're not careful. Don't think because now you're in love with Jesus Christ, it's going to stay that way. You need to work hard and protect that devotion you have. In fact, the Bible, it talks about so many people that were passionately serving God that slipped away and were gone. You know, I, I thought about Samson. Samson, he had this, this godly spirit that caused him to have this supernatural physical strength. His strength was a result of his spirit. But Samson began to compromise and go to Gaza and ungodly places with ungodly people. And all of a sudden, that man that was once so strong for the Lord is now in chains and in bondage. And I wonder, how did this happen? He slipped away to ungodliness. I thought about Solomon as I read about him this week. You read how there was such a devotion and a passion for God and his heart was towards God. He began to sacrifice offerings and by the thousands. The Bible says that Solomon worshipped God for two weeks. Two weeks of worship and praise. That's how devoted he was. But then some time later, as he got older, the Bible says that his heart was turned from God. I see this all the time in people. They're not the same anymore. Their hearts are different. And Solomon began to practice things that he thought he would never practice. He began to do things he thought he'd never do and even told people not to do. He began to falsely worship pagan gods and live ungodly lives. He slipped away. I thought about the rich man that went to Jesus and passionately said, I'll follow you everywhere. I'll follow you wherever you go. See, there was this passion that he wanted to give it all to Jesus. But then when Jesus told him, sell everything and follow me, he slipped away. 
You never hear of him again. He was gone. I thought about Judas, who served Jesus faithfully for three years. He saw the miracles. He served the people. He was walking with Jesus. And then you see him betray Jesus for money. And you see Judas gone. Never to return to the ministry. Never to return to Jesus. He was gone. What about the ten lepers that called Jesus Master and Lord and went to Him and experienced this healing and this miracle and this breakthrough? The Bible says that out of ten of them, only one came back to Jesus to give thanks and follow Him. The rest of the nine were gone. What happened? Jesus says, where are they? And I wonder today if Jesus is looking at the world, at people that used to serve God, used to go to church, used to worship passionately and serve in the ministry and have this unspeakable joy and passion for God. And I wonder now if Jesus is looking down on them saying, where are you? Where did you go? There are so many people that are not careful walking with the Lord and they begin to compromise here and there and before you know it, they slip away and they're gone. You see, this is what's happening in the church today. I believe that today in the church, especially here in America, there are more people slipping away than getting saved. There are more people backsliding than being baptized. There are more people seeking worldliness than holiness. There's a lot of emotion in the church, but not a lot of devotion to God. My question is, why? How does this happen? The Bible says to be careful that you think you're so strong that you don't even think you'll ever fall away. See, some people think, that would never happen to me. I love God so much. I love the church so much. I love Forward so much. Oh, I love Pastor David so much. I've heard it for years. And then they're gone. How? Almost, the writer of Psalms says, I was almost gone. How does this happen? Let me explain to you and teach you the strategy behind Satan and getting a lot of believers to slip away from God, to slip away from the church, to slip away from the Word of God. And it's exactly that. I want us to focus on that word slip in the Psalms. The Bible says my feet, in verse 2, were slipping. Notice that. My feet were slipping. It's interesting because in the Hebrew where the Psalms was written, there are two translations for the word slip. The first translation is the word kasha. And the word kasha in the Hebrew means to stumble. It means to accidentally trip. You know, when you're walking and you miss your footing, you didn't see something on the ground and you just slip. That's what the Bible calls hasha. It means to slip 
on accident. And then there's a second word for slip, which is the word shapah. And that Hebrew word means to pour something out. Like out of a jar into something else to pour out. What's interesting, as I read the Psalm 73, and the writer says, my feet were almost slipping. He doesn't use the word hasha, which means to accidentally stumble. He actually uses the word shapa, which means to pour out. You're thinking, well, pastor, what's the big deal? What's the point? I'm confused. Let me explain something to you. When you look at a person, why did, why did God use the word shapa to pour out instead of the word hasha to slip accidentally? Because God wants you to know a powerful truth. When you slip away from God, when you slip away from devotion and passion for Jesus, when you slip away from the church and the Word of God, it's never an accident. It's never kasha. It's never an accidental stumble. You know, think about it. When you stray away from God, when you're not as devoted to God, and I've talked to people that that I've asked, what happened to you? How did you fall away from God? They never said, I don't know, it, it was an accident. I, I accidentally stopped going to church. I, I accidentally started looking at sin better. And, and, and I accidentally stopped reading God's word. And, you know, I accidentally stopped serving in the ministry and volunteering in church. I accidentally stopped fellowshipping with my Christian brothers and sisters. And I started accidentally fellowshipping with non-believers. It was all an accident. You don't tell God, listen, God, I've lost my passion, but I lost it by accident. When you lose your passion for God and your devotion and love for Jesus, it's never an accident. That's why God did not put that word hasha in the Hebrew to stumble on accident because when you lose your devotion to God, it's never an accident. It's a choice you made by compromise. It's a choice. That's why God used this word shapha because He's wanting you to know when you lose your devotion and passion for God, it's because you poured it out. Let me explain to you. I want you to think of this right now. This red picture as your passion. This is you and God. This is you and your relationship with God. So the red represents your passion and love and fire for God. And it's important that you get this because I hear people tell me all the time, I, I just lost my passion. I just lost my love for God. I just lost my devotion. I just lost that desire to, to live for Jesus. But let me explain something to you. Desire and passion for God is never lost. Is it impossible for you to lose your passion and desire for God. You say, well, pastor, I know people all the time, they've lost it for God. No. And let me explain why. You can't lose your desire for God. In Genesis, we see that when God created man and woman, He said your desire will be for one another. See, 
It is human nature for us to have desire. It's God put desire there. So because it's in our nature to desire, you can't lose it. It's who you are. Desire is in you. But the problem is now, when you have desire for God, you don't lose it. What happens is, you now pour your desire to something else. So see, I'm not losing the desire. I don't lose the passion. I just begin to pour it out to other things. I begin to pour it out to other places. I begin to pour it out in other areas of my life. So I didn't lose it. I put it somewhere else. So when you see someone that apparently thinks they've lost their desire for God and the church and the Word of God, etc., the truth is, their desire for God was not gone. Their desire for the things that they once gave to God, that desire has now gone to something else. Your desire from God was poured out. And now you've poured desire into a job. And all you do is think about your job. And all you do is work. Your passion and desire now is for your family. It's for your kids. It's for a baby. It's for this. It's for that. It's for my children. This is all where my passion and desire is now. This is all I live for. My desire now is for pleasure. It's for money. It's for the world. And you placed and poured your desire for other things. My desire is for me. I want to get ahead of life. See, what happens to people in the church is they live empty lives before God because their desires have been poured out and into something or someone else. Your passion is all about your relationship with someone. Your passion is all about your hobby. Your passion is all about this or that. And everything you do and everything you think about and everything you work for is all about that thing and it's not God. That's where your passion is. This is why God says that the writer of Psalms almost was gone. He almost slipped because he began to not accidentally lose his passion for God. But he began to pour it into something else but God. And this is why so many people who were once passionately serving God backslide. They begin to serve God with all their heart and now their heart is divided between God and the world. They compromise. They begin to get distracted by other things and people and problems. And now you don't pray like you used to. You don't spend time in the Word like you used to. You don't go to church like you used to. This happens so many times to people in the church. And they're gone. Ask yourself, am I gone? Am I slipping? I love that the psalmist says, I almost slipped. He was able to recognize that he was slipping. Why is this so important? Because you know when you know you're slipping from God. 
No one who backslides and slips and loses their devotion to God and puts it in other things, they don't say, well, I, I didn't realize it. You know when you're not as passionate for God. You know when you're distracted by the world and the th- rather than God. You know when you're not serving God with all your heart. You just know it. I don't think it takes a sermon or a pastor to tell you. I believe people know when they're slipping from God. It's never an accident. You know that you know when you're slipping. You know that you know when you're gone. It takes great humility to say, God, I'm not the same person I used to be. Lord, I'm not as devoted like I used to be. And whether it's because you're distracted and you're pouring your desire to other things, or maybe you've been hurt by the church or hurt by a pastor or another believer, there is no justifiable excuse for a believer who slips. There is no justifiable excuse for a person that once loved God to be gone. So if that's you, you know the Lord is speaking to you this morning. You're thinking, well, why does this happen? I believe that Satan is really behind a lot of the backsliding and the slipping away and the people that are gone from church. They're gone. And this is why the devil loves to really target passionate believers. Because passionate, God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christians are a hindrance to the kingdom of Satan. We tend to think that Satan tries to stop us from getting saved, and I don't believe that's true because the Bible says that before God formed you, he knew you. You you know, God and the devil knew you were going to get saved. What the devil tries to do now, once you've been born again, once you've devoted your life to Jesus, now he really goes on the attack to try to get you to slip away, to try to get you to just be gone from the things of God. In fact, we see this with the disciple Peter. You know, when Peter gave his life You know, before he even gave his life to Jesus, the Bible doesn't record Satan really attacking him or desiring him. It was only after Peter gave his life to Jesus and surrendered and began to follow him that Jesus actually told Peter, Satan has asked me for permission to have you, to sift you like wheat, to attack you. And Jesus said, I'm praying for you. That's crazy that Jesus, imagine Jesus saying, hey, you know, the devil and I were talking and he asked me for permission to to really attack you. And you'd be like, well, what did you say to him? And Jesus just says, I'm going to pray for you. It shows us that Satan wants to attack the believers. And you're thinking, well, why if I'm already saved? It's because once you're saved, you have a new purpose now, and that's for the kingdom of God. 
And the devil is trying to stop the work of God from happening in your life. He's trying to stop your influence and your effectiveness as a Christian. This is why he tries to distract you and tempt you and get you away from the things of God. Because let me ask you this. How effective can you really be as a Christian for the kingdom of God if you're never in church? How effective could you be as a Christian for the kingdom of God if you never have time to read the scriptures and the Bible for yourself? How effective could you be if you never go to Bible study? How effective could you be as a believer if you never have fellowship with other believers? How effective could you be as a believer if you rarely or barely ever even pray? You see, you can't be very effective if you're slipping all the time. You can't be effective if you're gone. So the Bible says that the psalmist began to write and say, I was almost gone. And I said, well, what happened? How did you go from having a clear conscience before God to almost slipping and being gone from the things of God. See, when I looked at this, I saw that the devil had a strategy here that the psalmist actually teaches us. Number one is found in verse three. And this is why he almost slipped and why he was almost gone. And why it happens to us, the Bible says in verse 3, number one, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. See, the first thing Satan does is he gets you to take your eyes off God and put your eyes on other people. He begins to get you to live with constant comparison that turns to envy and coveting. The story goes like this, you, you're serving God and you're trying your best, but all of a sudden you go to someone's Facebook, social media page, you have a conversation with someone that doesn't serve God and they're telling you how great their life is. They're telling you about their new job and they're telling you they just got married. They're telling you about their vacation and how great things is. You look at their Facebook, their families are growing, they're happy, they're smiling, they have a new house, they have this, and it looks like their lives are perfect and the devil begins to tell you see this person they don't even serve God like you do they don't go to church like you do they don't worship God like you do they don't tithe like you do they don't go to Bible study like you do they don't read the Bible like you do they don't serve in the ministry like you do and look at what God is doing for them look how God blesses them and look at you And you begin to live with comparison and begin to live with actual envy. And you're thinking, man, why can't I have that? Why isn't God doing that for me? And God, I don't understand. And then it goes to the next strategy that Satan does. And it's found in verse 4 and 5. The Bible says now it goes from envying the ungodly to say they seem to live such painless lives. Notice the deception and the lie the psalmist believes. They seem to live such painless lives. Is that true? Do the ungodly live painless lives? Absolutely not. But the devil wants you to think they do. They never have problems. They live painless. Notice, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong that they don't have any troubles like the other people. 
They're not plagued with problems like everyone. You see, once you get convinced by the devil to live with comparison of the ungodly and envy them, you begin to believe the second lie and tell yourself they never have problems. Look at them. They're always laughing. They're always smiling. They're always happy. And look at me. I'm not healthy. I have problems at work. I have problems in my marriage. I have problems with my kids. And look at them. They just had a reunion, a family reunion. Look at them. They just celebrated an anniversary and I'm having problems in my marriage. Look at their kids and their kids are walking a straight line and their kids are doing great. And look at mine. They're rebelling right now. They're, they're really driving me crazy. They're not living for God. Look at them. They're painless. They have no problems. They have no trouble. And God, they don't even serve you like I do. They They don't even love you like I do. Look at them, painless. I'm going to church on Sunday. They're sleeping in. I'm serving in the ministry. They're going to the beach on Sundays. Look at you, God. What are you doing in my life? See, the devil begins to get you to live with comparison in order to envy. And once you fall into envy, you begin to live with wrong assumptions about them, thinking they're so happy, they have so much joy, they have so much peace, and they don't even serve God. And the devil says, you see, don't you want to be that happy? Don't you want to have a life free from worry and free from pain? What you got to do is do what they're doing. You don't need to be going to church every Sunday. It's a little radical. You don't need to be giving your tithe to the church. You need to spend it on yourself. You don't need to be going to Bible study on a Wednesday night. Just stay home and relax. Watch your favorite show. You don't need to do all of that because, look, they don't do it. And their lives are actually better than yours. They actually have what you want and God is giving it to them and not you. So once you begin to live with envy of the ungodly and falsely thinking that they're living painless lives, you kind of begin to want to slip and and kind of just... Slip a little bit, the devil tells you. And the devil finally does his best in verse 13 of Psalm 73. He says, Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did did I live with a clear conscience for nothing? Did I serve God for nothing? God, don't tell me that that I served you in vain. Don't tell me that I raised my my children in your word for nothing. Don't tell me I spent all that time in church for nothing. Don't tell me that I prayed for nothing. Don't tell me that I stayed away from those sins for nothing. Don't tell me. This writer begins to be honest. He says, Man, did did I serve God in vain? That's what the devil tries to get you to believe. That all of this Christian stuff, all of this church stuff, it's for nothing. The devil wants you to think that it's in vain. And he gets you to say, listen, look at the ungodly and envy them. And look at their lives. They're they're pain-free. 
Look at them. You serve God, but you struggle. They don't serve God and they, they thrive. You think about your pain and as a Christian, you think, man, ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I, I lost my friends. My relationship with my family hasn't been the same. Man, I, I tithe to the church in obedience to God and my car breaks down. I try to please God and, and I, I wait for the right one to marry. I want to marry and not be unequally yoked like God says, but I'm still single and, and I, don't ha- I can't find anyone, but this person doesn't even serve God. They've been around the block and look at them. They just got married. They're having children. I don't understand that God, is, is it worth it? That's why so many people in the church slip because the devil begins to get them to compare and envy in order to get you to think that serving God is worthless that serving God is in vain he does this to so many pastors that I speak to that are friends of mine he does this to me He tells pastors, he says, is it worth being in ministry? David, is it worth serving other people all the time? Is it worth losing sleep and praying for your congregation? Is it worth being out late at night doing counseling? Is it worth it? Is it worth going to seminary and getting degrees to to make nothing to have no money to serve God is it worth it to to be alone and lose your friends and not have anything to do on the weekends is it worth it is it in vain the devil tries to get you to think Worshiping God has gotten you nowhere. But see, the psalmist, he said, I almost was gone. Almost. Meaning, man, I, I, devil, you almost got me there. You, man, when you got me to compare and I was starting to feel a little envious and and I started thinking, is it worth it? Man, I, I almost bit the bait. I almost slipped away. I almost was gone. I can't believe that. He said almost something stopped him. Something saved him from making this terrible mistake to slip away from God and into the world. And I want to teach you what that was because if you learn this today, I believe it can protect you when the devil tries to get you to slip away, distracted by the world, slip away, distracted by other ungodly people with envy, slip away thinking what you're doing for God is in vain. This is what he did. The Bible says it's in verse 17. Here's the answer. Pay attention. Remember, the psalmist, he's thinking right now, is it worth it? 
serving God? Is it worth it? Is it in vain? I can't believe they're ungodly. Look at them. They're happy. They're pain-free. And look at me, and I have a lot of pain. And, and ever since I've served God, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Was it in vain? He's really on the verge of slipping away from God, slipping to the church, away from the church. He's really thinking about it. And then something happened. He said, then I went into your sanctuary. That, that word sanctuary is describing the presence of God. You know, when, when you're in a place that you're tempted to just slip away from God and you think everything is in vain and you're living your life comparing yourself to other ungodly people and you begin to just hate your present life and you begin to say, is it worth it? The first thing you need to do is run to the presence of God. You need to get alone and you need to pray and say, Lord, help me. Lord, I'm losing. I'm about to pour myself out into other things. I'm about to pour my passion for you into other things. And Lord, I need help. He went to the sanctuary of God. And he said, oh God. And finally, I understood. See, that word understood means discernment. When you have discernment, you see things for what they really are and not for what they appear. Because remember, Satan was telling this psalmist, look at them. Doesn't it seem like they're happy? Doesn't it seem like they're pain-free? Isn't it, doesn't it look like worshiping God is in vain? And God said, I'm going to give you discernment. I want you to see the truth. Notice what God did. He said, oh God, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Man, what a verse. The destiny. You know what happened? You know why people slip away and they're gone from God and the church because their minds are on the things of this world, a temporary pleasure. But God said, hey, I, I want you to do something. For I'm going to give you discernment. And I want you to think about them. All those ungodly people that you're envying right now, all of those ungodly people that seem like their lives are great, and all of those people that don't even follow Jesus, what's going to happen when they die? Where are they going to be? Where are you going to be? Because you followed Jesus. Where are you going to be because you surrendered your life in repentance to sin? To Jesus, where are you going to be because you gave it all to the Lord? You're going to be in heaven for all eternity. Or he wipes away your tears. Or you'll be free from pain. And the wicked, they're going to be in eternity in hell with pain that never ceases. So God says, what you need to do is now start thinking about eternity. Start thinking about eternity. The writer of Psalms used the word destiny, where we get our word destination from. When you think about a destination, it's, it's the end of where you're headed. You know that right now here on earth, this is not our destination. Our destination, believer or not in Jesus, is eternity in heaven or in hell. That is your final destination. Let me illustrate this for you. Can you imagine that you and I start planning a trip 
and where I don't know where we're going. I don't know. Let's go to let's go to Hawaii. Let's get away from all this craziness right now. Let's just plan a trip to Hawaii. So you begin. You go online. You you you're focused on the destination. You're thinking about Hawaii. So now you begin to book the hotel. You book your room. You you rent a car. You begin to pack your luggage and you make sure that you have clothes that are suitable for the climate in the final destination, Hawaii. So you, you're packing t-shirts and shorts and sandals. You're making sure your whole mindset is on Hawaii, the final destination. And what if now you call me and you say, hey, Pastor David, are you ready? And I'm like, I think so. What do you mean you think so? Haven't you planned? Haven't you packed? Did you get your hotel room? I'm like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I, I'm going to just take my chances and I'm going to hope that they have vacancy. Did you pack? No, I, didn't. I really didn't pack. I haven't, I'm going to figure it out when I get there. Don't, I don't know about that. And you're thinking, well, what are you thinking about? Oh, I'll tell you what I'm excited for. I'm, I'm, I'm telling, this is what I've been thinking about. I'm thinking about, and I'm so excited. What are you excited for? The beach? The mountains? The volcanoes? No, no, I'm not excited about that. I'm excited about the plane ride. You're thinking, what? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I can't wait to to sit down on that plane and strap on and and hear the, the pilot say, enjoy the rest of the duration of this flight. You're going to be thinking, well, that makes no sense. That makes perfect sense. I can't wait to enjoy that flight. I can't wait for the little packets of pretzels. I I can't wait for the in-flight movie. I wonder what it's going to be. I just can't wait to press that button and have a stewardess come and serve me. I just can't wait for the in-flight magazine. I can't wait. I, I wonder who I'm going to sit next to. I'm so excited about this duration of flight. See, there's a big difference between a destination and a duration. And while your mind is on the destination of Hawaii, my mind is focused on the duration only of the flight. And I don't think about the destination. Sadly, as crazy as that sounds, that's how crazy people are today on this earth. Do you know that our final destination is eternity? And what we have in this world, if you're lucky at best, 85 years, all of this is just a duration. It's a set time. And the same way it's crazy for me to have only my mindset on a duration of a flight and not the destination of the trip, it it astounds me how many people don't really invest in eternity. They don't think about when they die, where they're going to go. There are so many Christians who are not heavenly minded. They're just worldly. They're trying to thrive. They want the house, the car, the money, the pleasure, the vacations, and this, they, that. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for church. I got to work. I got to work. I got to thrive. And we're focused on this temporal world that's just the duration. When God says there is a destiny, 
You see why Christians slip away is because we stop being kingdom-minded and we start pouring into the worldliness of the temporal things, the temporal the temporary pleasures and the temporary materialistic passions, everything that we're living for is the world and not God. And we're so destiny, ignoring destiny, and we're so destination-minded. We're we're just saying, I'm just going to focus on the world and not care. As Christians... If you want to live free from comparison and envy and and, and thriving for the things of this world, start living for the kingdom of God. Be kingdom-minded. That's why the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about eternity, the kingdom of God. He's saying, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, when you think about setting your mind, how do you know whether you're worldly or passionate about God? You have to ask yourself, Where do I, what do I think about the most throughout the day? Man, do I really think about God? Do I really think about His Word? Do I really think about growing more like Jesus every day? Do I really think about lost people and trying to reach them for Jesus? Do I really think about eternity? Or is in my mind constantly thinking about the things that are temporary and worldly? See, God says, as believers, He said this to a church in Colossians. Set your minds on things above to be kingdom-minded so that when you see the worldliness of people and the ungodliness of people and you see their happiness and their joy and their lack of pain, you think to yourself, then none of that even matters because I'm not living for that. I'm living for Jesus. I'm living for His kingdom. It's amazing because when we think about our lives as Christians, we stay firm in the Lord, we stay firm in the Word, we stay firm serving God because we're heavenly minded. But believers that begin to slip away into the things of the world and you're only thinking about the pleasures and the temporary things and the materialistic things and all you have time for is your house and your kids and your car and your vacation. All of that is nice. All of that is great. But it's not life. It's just a duration. Our real destiny is after this duration of earth. After the afterlife, eternity. See, the writer of Psalms, as we close, he said, I almost slipped. I almost lost my footing. I I was almost gone. I I can't believe I, I was almost gone from the things of God. See, it could be that Some of you are gone already. But maybe a lot of you are in that almost 
stage that he was in. Where lately you've just been worldly. Lately you haven't picked up the Bible. Lately you haven't been praying. Lately you haven't been fellowshipping. Obviously, yeah, Pastor, we're quarantined. But you know what I mean by this? You're not calling your church people. You're not praying with them. You're not saying, man, I can't wait to get to church. You're not thinking, I'm so excited because you're just thinking about everything else. And you're thinking like the psalmist. Man, I was almost gone. It breaks my heart to see Christians that are gone. People that that stood by me in ministry, gone. People that once worshipped with their hands high to Jesus are gone. People that were once excited about God's word and asking questions because they wanted to learn, gone. Where has your passion gone? Where has your love for God gone? It's gone to the very thing you've poured yourself into. See, what's so sad about this is when you pour your your passion and desire for the things of this world, naturally, you become empty. You can't do both. That's why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. I can't pour into these cups here and still have some remaining. And so many believers are empty. Oh yeah, you're saved. Yeah, your destiny is heaven, but you're empty now. The Lord can't use you for His kingdom. You're too worldly. You're you're empty, you're you're sad, you're discouraged, you're jealous all the time, you're you're negative all the time, you're criticizing all the time, you're not spending time with God anymore. See that those are signs that you're empty. You're not fellowshipping with believers anymore. Your things, your mind is not on church anymore and the things of God anymore. You're empty. Because everything else is for myself. Everything else is for me. You're empty. You know that people can actually go to church like this. You listen to the worship songs, it does nothing for you. You're listening to a word like this and you're just thinking about lunch. You still show up, but you're empty. You see, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Remember, we talked about being kingdom-minded. Why is it so important? He says, therefore, talking to Christians, we also have our ambition. Notice that word, ambition. Whether at home or absent. To be pleasing to Him. That's what life is all about. Pleasing Him. Pleasing God. That's our ambition. But is that your ambition? Or is your ambition to get on the top? Is your ambition to have the most? Is your ambition to have pleasure? Is your ambition the world? 
Or is your ambition to live to please God? Why is it so important? The Bible says, Paul said to all the Christians in Corinth, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be rewarded for his deeds and body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. See, why is it so important to be kingdom-minded? It's because all of us, see, the judgment here is not talking about a judgment for the ungodly. They have their own judgment. But you know that one day all Christians, all believers are like, we're going to stand on what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ, which is for all believers, not to see whether you're saved or not. No, you're saved. But the judgment seat of Christ is where Jesus himself, he gives your rewards. He gives you the rewards of what you did on earth for him. See, That's why we're kingdom-minded. Because one day you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, what did you do with the duration on earth I gave you? Well, well, Pastor, I mean, um, I don't know what I'm going to tell him. Well, I don't know what you're going to tell him. But I'll tell you what's not going to impress him. He's not going to be impressed by how much money you made. He's not going to impress by how big your family was. He's not going to be impressed with how nice your house was. He's not going to be impressed with your degrees, where you traveled, your money. That's all the things that we get impressed with with people, but not God. He's going to say, what did you do for my kingdom while I gave you this time and this duration on earth? See, I want Jesus to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you were kingdom-minded, not worldly, not earthly-minded. And sometimes it's hard to be a Christian because you are looking at the ungodly. You are looking at the world. You are looking at people that don't even serve Jesus. And you're thinking, man, their life is so good. Yeah, well, what about their destiny? That's why when we get to heaven, God will have rewards. And it's going to be different for every person. He's going to give you rewards by what you did faithfully. And he's going to withhold rewards by what you did wrong. But all of us will be in heaven, but not all of us will experience heaven the same. And I was talking to my mom about this because this is so amazing to me that you're going to be able to have a different experience in heaven according to the rewards he gives you because of what you did for his kingdom here on earth. That's why Christians, the Bible says, we have this ambition because we know that what we do on earth It's not going to determine whether we get saved or not. We're saved only by the grace of Jesus Christ. But what we do on earth for his kingdom will determine how we live in heaven. And I don't know what that looks like. But maybe you're saying now, oh, pastor, I'm slipping. Pastor, I'm not the same anymore. I'm, I'm gone. What do I do? You confess it before God. 
the Bible says in Revelations, do what you used to do when you were the highest with the Lord. If what you used to do was read your Bible every morning, go back to that. If what you did was go to church every Sunday and serve, go back to that. If you are tired of living empty and pouring yourself out to the world, then go back to having that passion for God by doing what you used to. And stop doing what is not working. That's why the happiest people I know, the people that enjoy Jesus the most, are those that I see passionate about church. The ones that are actually serving. The ones that get up earlier than everyone else to, to go clean or do media, go practice with the worship band. The ones that I see when we have a, an event that involves fellowship, the people that are actually excited to talk and mingle and hang out with your Christian brothers and sisters, those are the happiest people. The most miserable ones are the ones that have no time. The ones that can't. The ones that think, ah, no, I don't, I don't want to be with them. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And then you look at them and they're miserable. So if that's you today, let me pray for you. That you go back to where you once were with Jesus. He's waiting for you. He almost was gone. The Lord came through and gave him a kingdom mindset. Let me pray for you, Father, for anyone listening today. Maybe they're, they're slipping. They're not the same. They've lost their passion. Help them, Lord, to get back to who they used to be. Help them to have this ambition again for you and your kingdom. Father, as we get back together as a church and we kind of get back to normal, I pray that what happens first is passion to come back for your house. Passion to come back for your kingdom. That you will begin to kill the flesh of worldliness and the children that love you. Give us a heart to serve you. Forgive us, Lord, when we pour our passion into something else that doesn't matter. Help us, Lord, to apply this to our lives and work on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. I pray that that word was edifying for you and that you begin to just walk with the Lord again. And get that passion back. You don't have to slip away. You don't have to be almost gone. You can renew your spirit, renew your love for God. And I thank you for joining me for this word. Before we go, though, I do have a couple of announcements for you guys. I want to remind you guys, I'm excited to announce that starting next Sunday, June 7th, we will resume meeting together physically in person in our church. 
So here, the website of the church, go to it for more information about this. Our address is here. We pray that you guys will join us next Sunday, June 7th. You're probably wondering, well, will things be the same? Things are going to change a little bit, but what's not going to change is the time that we're meeting. We're meeting at 10.30 a.m. on the dot, 10.30 a.m. But keep in mind that we as a church are following the safety guidelines of the CDC. So what that means is the entire church before service and after service is going to undergo a thorough cleaning. So I want to thank our hospitality ministry for doing this because they're going to be dedicated to cleaning the church before and after service to make it safe for all of us. We will maintain social distancing throughout the whole service in our church. So you might not see a lot of hugging and handshaking and all of that, but I hope that you're still encouraged to come and worship God together with us. We are requiring that all masks and face coverings continue to be worn throughout the entire service. There will be hand sanitizing stations at the entrance, so you can wash your hands and make sure that's clean. And for every person that's walking into our church building, our church facility, we will be conducting temperature checks. So as soon as you come in, our hospitality ministry will check your temperature, make sure that you're safe, practice social distancing, and enjoy our service. So we are starting to meet next Sunday, June 7th, and every Sunday after that, starting at 10.30 a.m. If you have any questions, feel free to call our church from 9 to 5 in our office, or you can visit our website, and we're going to post some of our information about this. But I pray that you guys will join me in our church next Sunday, 10.30 a.m., as we get back together physically to worship God and fellowship with one another. God bless you, and thank you. I'll see you next week.